Welcome to the Leading Transformational Change Podcast. Our passion is to help you lead and build flourishing organizations, one at heart with high integrity and a healthy culture. In this episode, I'm joined by Ron Carucci, co-founder and managing partner at Navalent. Ron helps CEOs at some of the world's largest companies lead transformational change. Ron is a best-selling author, frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and many more, and he's also a TEDx speaker. Our conversation was recorded on March the 2nd, which is before the current corona crisis became the global crisis that it is today. However, I believe that the insights and the research that Ron shares on how building healthy organizations marked by integrity, unity, and honesty is very, very relevant for leaders at this very hour. Let's just jump into my conversation with Ron Carucci. You've been doing a lot of work over so many years, but in recent years, I think you've been honing in on some specific topics that I understand have been really a passion of yours mm. and, and, and things that are really uh, vital to us as well here at Heart Management. And it's really about the, the kind of inner life or the things that are happening really in the heart of an organization. And, and you uh, have written two articles I have here, for example, the, the titles. One of them is Four Ways Your Leadership Might Be Encouraging Unethical Behavior in Forbes and Four Ways Lying Becomes the Norm at Your Company in Harvard Business Review and so on. And, and, and I first wanted to ask you, what made kind of these topics of honesty and integrity and and, and, and purpose in organizations, what really put that on your radar and why are you so passionate about that? Mm. You know, for 35 years, I've spent my life um, helping organizations become more honest and more just places. You know, our diagnostic work, when we go in to help organizations transform and change and compete better, um, we are rigorous in, how, in the data we collect and how we analyze it. And so we've been putting... Um, voices back in the room that have been sitting out of the room for 35 years and forcing leaders to pay attention to and listen to the voices that they have either not heard or have intentionally avoided. Um, but, but it suddenly occurred to me uh, in one particular interview, a diagnostic interview, how, how ironic this was. I was with a, um, a head of strategy for a global food company. Yeah. And during the interview, they had just gone through a very painfully failed merger. And during the interview, he said to me, <laughs> I'm always fascinated by people who qualify their honesty. They say things like, well, to be, to be honest, or if I can be frank, or let me be blunt. Uh, yeah. you know, so, so he said, well, to be perfectly honest, um, we all knew it was going to fail when we started. Um, we, we were anxious about it. We knew we didn't, our capabilities didn't match theirs. Um, we knew that we were, have lost our way in our industry regulations have changed, the world has moved on, and we have, we have not really kept up, and so we're just grasping at straws. We don't know who we are anymore, so we're just making it up as we go. And it really stunned me to hear him be so honest with me about that, and I thought, why? I'm a stranger. I mean, we had worked with the company for many years, so we knew them, but why, when it mattered most, could they all not be honest with each other? And saved a ten, you know, a seven billion dollar disaster, um, and I, it just, I thought that it was just so odd. And you, these are good; these were good men and women. These were not like corrupt, evil-seeking people. These were good people 
who made a really bad choice out of their own fear, out of their own anxiety, out of their, out of their own unwillingness to look in the mirror and see the truth. Yeah. And so I wanted to know, I wanted to know under what conditions would, it, would people withhold or distort the truth or behave unjustly? Um, could we know? I'm so tired, and I'm sure, I'm sure you are as well, of, well, it's the culture. Um, or or um, just a couple of evil people. 5,000 people didn't wake up at Wells Fargo on the same day and all think to themselves at the same time, hey, here's an idea how to drive revenue. So from, for us, there, we thought there has to be more of a story here. There have to be more predictable conditions under which um, pe people's behavior will go in ways they would have never imagined it going. So that's what led us to the research. So, I mean, that, that's just super exciting. And there are so many different ways we could attack that. But just thinking about what, what were really the output that you got? What, what did you learn as you digged into understanding what this behavior comes from? Well, so Tobias, what we learned was that there are, there are very predictable conditions under which people will choose to do the wrong thing. Um, and to do uh, to to distort the truth, um, and it was so. What's fascinating to me, I'm sure you found this too, is we often talk about um, speaking truth to power, or you know, the cur you know being bold with your point of view, or speak speaking courageously, and we've associated truth with courage, um, and that that makes me sad because the dangerous corollary is that if we think that it there's something to be afraid of with um, um, with telling the truth. That means we must assume that it's safer not to. That we associate withholding information or distorting it as some, as safer, which of course you and I both know is hardly the case. Yeah. So we found four conditions. I'm, I'm sure there are others too. These were four that the, our our research indicated were. You know, pronounced. The first was what we call strategic clarity. And it's illustrated in the food company example I just gave you. When your company says one thing and does another, meaning it has a, st a statement of identity in its brand purposes or its uh, brand promises or its mission statement or its values or the things that de we declare this is who we are. When those are unclear, when who, who we are in the marketplace is different than who we say we are to ourselves, um, you've now institutionalized duplicity. Um, and now so, everybody assumes well, it's, it must be normal to say one thing and do another. And when that condition is the case, you're now three times more likely to have people behave unjustly, distort the truth, or, or lie. And the statistics work both ways. So that when there is alignment between who you say you are and what you do, your actions and your words, you've now increased the odds by three times that people will be honest and do the right thing. Uh, the second was um, accountability. So when your accountability systems are seen to be unfair, not your reward systems, not your compensation, but the way in which you count contribution, when people believe it to be unfair, meaning um, what I believe I contributed and what you say I did don't match, um, uh, you're now four times more likely to have people lie out because now I have to embellish my accomplishments and I have to hide my mistakes because it's not safe to admit that I, was, I, I fell short. And the flip side is also true. You, you, you improve the odds of people being more accountable when your systems are seen as fair. The third was governance. So how your decisions are made, if there's not transparency in the data people are, are given to make choices and they have to go underground to the rumor mill or to all the places where collusion's happening to get choices made or to find out what's going on 
uh, you're three and a half times more likely to have people lie about the truth because when I can't get good information, I'm going to make it up. And lastly, probably the most surprising to us was um, cross-functional relationships. You know, the, the seams of the organization where adjacent functions come together to try and create value. When there's friction there, when there's rivalry, when there's unresolved conflict that's intractable, you're six times more likely to have people lie or withhold the truth or behave unjustly. Because now when we fragment the organization, we fragment the truth. And when you have dueling truths, um, it's no longer about finding a shared truth. It's about my truth being right and yours being wrong and me having to prove that. Um, and, and the statistics are cumulative. So if all four of those conditions are, are true in your organization, you're about 16 times more likely to find yourself on the headline of a newspaper story you never wanted to be in. Wow. So, I mean, if we think about the business implications, because, of course, these things, they, I mean, seem simple in a way and they're not and, and we're not doing them. And, and so, so if you think about the business implications, like why, why does this matter? Why is this so important, do you think? Well, so, and, and um, what I would say to leaders and when I say when I talk to, to them is, is scandal avoidance isn't a reason to change, right? Uh, disaster aversion isn't a reason to invest, but if you want people to show up to your organization being authentically who they are, giving their best contributions, um, bringing you their best ideas, um, advancing the performance of your organization competitively, those conditions are the necessary precursors to that. People will not show up and if they can't believe, be them whole selves, they can't be truly who they are. If they can't see a direct line of sight between their own purpose and yours, you're only getting part of their contribution. You're only getting part of their hearts and part of their minds. Yeah. If the way decisions are made uh, is um, elusive to them, you can't expect them to have ownership of decisions that you impose on them. If they're at war with an adjacent function, so if it's, it's the classic sales and marketing war or supply chain and um, operations or R&D and innovation, um, if those functions are at war, people, people st the story people feel part of becomes smaller. But people want to go to work and feel part of a bigger story. Well, the only way to feel part of a bigger story is if you know what that bigger story is and how you fit into it. And if you create a conditions under which people cannot see that, they're going to behave small, which sure. means their answers, their solutions, their work will be small. And so uh, for the sake of get, getting the best performance from your people and giving them the most meaningful, enriching experiences of their own work in your organization, those four conditions are the sort of price of admission. That's amazing. And I, what, so, I loved in your, what I loved in your introduction, and I, I, I use a different word than you do, but you, you mean the same thing and I love this. Everybody's trying to do it with a campaign. We're, we're purpose washing everything. And so people think that if I put posters up and screensavers and promote the idea of honesty or integrity or purpose or meaning or all those things, um, that somehow mm -hmm. I'll get it. Well, the truth is, um, that's not going to work. You're actually going to make it worse. Because if you intensify a campaign with me messages that significantly depart from what people know to be true, now you're only widening the gap yeah. between truth and, uh, and, and um, imagination. And that's worse. So I tell leaders all the time, never codify those aspirations until they're true. Yeah. Earn your right to write them down. Mm. 
Awesome, awesome. So uh, I think in, in many times when an organization then goes through, for example, a crisis or, or an issue like that, uh, for example, I've been working with organizations that have go been going through a crisis where the founder was ousted because of, of certain behavior. Uh, what I've seen is many times you, you would say, okay, it was just about the issue of one person, one, yeah, individual behaviors. And it's very easy to find a scapegoat and you think, okay, now that person is out of the organization, yeah. you're done with the problem. And yeah. I think what your research shows is that it's more systemic. Could you, could you talk to that? Yeah, that's exactly the case. It is systemic. And it's, you know what, Tobias, it's always systemic. It, it, even when one, one bad actor does, you know, you have the, the founder who's lost their way in terms of their own power or their own sense of um, imp imperviousness, you know, comes about. Still, you have to ask yourself, what was it about the system that didn't discourage that or that encouraged it? So even when there is, in fact, a unique um, bad behavior, you have to zoom out and ask yourself, what allowed this to be true? Because people certainly saw it, right? It was, nobody was blind to it. And so if we don't look at the systemic factors, if we don't begin to see our organizations as systems, the way we see our bodies, right? Nobody puts an antibiotic in their body uh, and, uh, and thinks, well, now I'm done, right? Um, you know, it, it's like the person who says, um, I want to lose 30 pounds. I, I ate a salad today, nothing happened, right? You know, it's, you, you, can't, you can't plant the tree on the day you need the shade. Sure. Your, your, your bodies are systems. When you put an antibiotic in it, your body resists it at first, right? So systems will fight for their survival. Um, I tell my clients all the time, your organizations are perfectly designed to get the results and behaviors you're getting. You may not be getting results and behaviors you want, but those are the ones you're designed for. And so if you don't understand how you're designed for that, but I think so many leaders, and you, and you, and you alluded to this in your, in your introduction of, the, of your book, Tobias, they want the silver bullet. They want it quick. So they reach for the training lever, or they reach for the, let's put new values on the wall lever, or they reach for the technology lever to get work more efficient. And they pull one lever and they pull it really hard. And then maybe they see a little bit of progress for a little while, but then of course it regresses back. Um, and, you, and they think, wow, we, we spent all that money. It didn't work. Well, it's because you didn't do it. You didn't take a systemic approach to a systemic problem. You took a bandaid approach, um, you know. And so, the way we treat our bodies, the way we treat families, you can't take someone in a family that struggles with addiction out of the family, put them in a center, get them well, and put them back into a sick family, and and assume that their recovery is going to sustain itself. Our organizations are no different. So true. So true. So I'm thinking in an organization that already are, are going through these issues where, where things have come up and you see that there are, let's say, destructive behaviors that are systemic within the organization. What, what should they do? What should leaders do in that position to really well, lead a change? Because I think much of it just becomes, uh, I mean, like, like you've said, it just becomes words or things that don't actually lead to that lasting transformational mm -hmm. change. Well, so one of the questions you asked me in our email, which I, was a, which I thought was a fascinating question, which is, what are the early signs, right? How would you see this? You know, so all the behavioral scientists in the last few years have fallen in love with the notion of nudges, you know, to sort of nudge people toward better behavior. Well, I think that's all well and fine and good, but I think we also have to, the flip side of those is the pinches, 
right? That there are pinches. Mm-hmm. And it, it's that moment in the meeting where you have a little, you know, somebody says something and your, and your stomach just has a little knot. Yeah. Or you're walking into a meeting that should be a, just fine. And it's not that just that you're nervous, you're super anxious. Your hands are sweating about what's going to happen in that meeting. Um, those little pinches are telling you there's something unhealthy about your system. It's your opening story about the soccer player and the heart attack, right? Well, sh- sure, he looked like the picture of health on the outside till they looked at his heart. But the truth is, his body was telling him about his heart disease. You know, you, you can't say, I had no idea there were no symptoms. There were plenty of symptoms. You just chose not to read them that way. Our organizations will signal to us um, a lack of health. Now, if, if he had been going, if that soccer player had been going for an electrocardiogram, um, apologies, um, uh, on, a, on a yearly basis or even every six months, um, or if there was heart disease in his family, he would have known. Our organizations need checkups. So the first thing to do is make sure you have a routine and not just an employee engagement survey, but truly checking on the health of your organization at, on a regular basis, looking at your strategic systems. Do the words and actions match? Looking at your resource allocation systems is the way a decision rights, authority, uh, money, uh, distributed the way it needs to be distributed. Looking at your accountability systems. Do people perceive it to be fair? Are people getting regular feedback on how they're doing? Can they admit failure? Not just the annual write it on the form, but the entire year of accountability. Um, and looking at the relationships across boundaries. Are people able to um, permeate boundaries and get work coordinated well? Are people able to synchronize their efforts so that one plus one equals three versus one plus one equals negative three? Um, and if those things aren't happening, or when you, when you hear the story of, you know, we see executives all the time complaining about having to be referees. You know, operations is fighting with supply chain and they can't work it out, so I have to go and referee. Well, don't, don't just try and, you know, be Solomon and split the baby and put the gavel down. Ask yourself, what, what is enabling these two functions who are otherwise meant to be aligned to coordinate their efforts, unable to do so? It's not just the personality of leaders. We, we don't need to do team building to make them get along better. There's something systemic. You might find that, in fact, the metrics are out of sync, right? They're being measured on efficiency. They're being measured on productivity. Um, and so they're designed to fight. And so you have to look at the health of your organization that deeply and that specifically. Um, you can't look at the mood. You know, are people happy? Well, they might be happy, and that might be an indicator of something. It doesn't mean it's an indicator of health. Um, it might be an indicator that, that you have retention that you want, that your employee retention is not dropping. Uh, and in a hot talent market, it's hard to recruit, so you want retention. Um, but there are plenty of other indicators. And if you're not looking at them, you're not going to see uh, where you um, are potentially at risk. Your, your, your soccer player may have gone for a checkup and gotten his blood tested and, and was no blood enzymes that would have indicated heart disease. And so mm-hmm. and his blood sugar may have fine, been fine. So he wasn't diabetic, but it doesn't mean his heart was still not sick. Sure. And I, I think it's so interesting that you lift that so many times when we go about these things, we want to add things like we want to, to, to add a team building activity or, or we want to add, or maybe we should have free we lunches or whatever. Exactly. Instead of dealing with the, underlying things that really, really matter in the organization. You know why I think that is, Tobias, my personal opinion, I'd be curious to hear what you think. Bolting on feels so good. Sure. It feels, 
there's, an, uh, there's a surge of productivity. There's a surge of we acted upon something. There's a surge of energy that comes from the bolt-on thing. Um, it's like when you, when you go into a house that's been pre-owned and you go and there's wallpaper on the wall and you pull wallpaper off and there's another layer of wallpaper and there's another layer of wallpaper sure. and you realize, oh my gosh, they just kept putting it and now it, we can't, it won't stick anymore. Um, it, once you put that wall, the new wallpaper on, it looked wonderful and you couldn't see that the wall was rotten. And so we, we love how it makes us feel. Um, but bolt-ons uh, proliferate denial uh, in ways we don't ever want to admit. Mm. And I, I think it connects, I mean, with the picture that you used before really about health and exercise that, that I mean, in, instead of wanting to deal with the real issues, perhaps a lack of exercise, perhaps a, a bad nutrition, we want to to get some, some, some pills we could take or something that is going to like make it happen and instead we, of, and yeah. We all, we, we love a silver bullet. We all want the silver sure. bullet. We all want yes. the quick, quick answer, um, which is why, look, why do gym memberships across the world go up in January? Because all the news is illusions, right? They'll be, gyms make all their money uh, in January. Yeah. Diet pills. Um, we want quick answers. We don't want to have to go and change our habits, change our behaviors, uh, change our lifestyles. It's just, it's harder. So, so, so for a person who's trying to, let's say maybe you have an, an HR manager or you have somebody who is not the, the, the CEO of the organization who, who sees a need of really dealing with these things and they need to sell it in. They need to get, get, get backing that this is something that we're ready to, to really spend time looking into and going deep into as, as you've been talking about what should they say? What should they do to get the leadership to buy in? Well, so a couple, there's a couple of things I would always encourage leaders to do, especially if you're in the middle trying to push up. Um, do it for your own team, right? Your, your company has a mission statement. You have values. You have documents that codify. You have a brand promise. Sit around with your team and ask your team, how, how well are we embodying this? How, are we living up to these things? Where could we do better? And monitor that. Um, how... how are, are the way we make decisions, are the way, is the way I make decisions on your behalf transparent? Do you have access to information you need? Um, are, do you feel held accountable in a fair way? Do you feel like you get good feedback on your performance? Do you feel like you know where you're falling short and can improve? Who are our key partners in the organization? Who are the places that, who are our stakeholders in other departments who rely on us or who, on whom we rely? Um, and monitor those relationships. Go talk to them, meet with them. So you can, the first thing you can do is model it. You can look at your own uh, health and live it. The second thing is you, you can do is in the process of trying to do that, you're going to learn things about the health of your organization. Yeah. You're going to hear other people say things. You're going to see, you know, your team may say to you, we, we don't live these guys and nobody does. Nobody, nobody even knows what they are. Ouch. Okay. Good to know. Um, but you can, okay, well, let's start. So you will learn about the health of your organization around you. Take notes collect lots of data. It may take um, four or five months of you embodying your own health, fixing your own health, and learning about other parts of the organization before you can create some credible observations and use those to serve up. Because when you've lived it and modeled it for yourself, people are more likely to want to listen to you. Um, and um, it also may catch on. Other leaders may hey, say, hey, what are you doing? How are you doing that? And you can say, well, here's the tools I used, or here's how I did it. Why don't you want to try? So you can create a movement. Uh, or a cause uh, in your organization just by simply embodying it for yourself. Um, the second thing is 
is if you have the chance to talk to senior leaders, um, ask them hard questions. Say, do you feel like our organization lives by what we say? Do you feel like our, our, our mission is true to who we are inside? Um, and if they say, absolutely, ask them, on what do you base your confidence? On what basis would you be so sure? What, what data do you have that suggests everybody in the organization feels the same way? And if they say to you, which they likely will, um, I, I haven't heard otherwise, then you can say, well, so you're assuming that the absence of bad news is good news. Would you be willing to test that theory? Would you be willing to go and find out uh, if our organization, in fact, does feel like the, the clarity of our, who our identity is, is, is really clear? Um, same question about accountability or governance or um, cohesion. Ask, how confident are you? And if the only data you get is, I'm not feeling any pain, or I haven't heard anybody else complaining about those things, um, and my guess is that if you have an employee engagement survey, you could pull it up and go, hmm, turns out there is some data here that would indicate a problem. Um, so you, you can, you can put, put a mirror back in front of them to say, hey, I'm not trying to you know, make you look bad here. Or my, my goal isn't to sort of make you feel defensive. My goal is to simply say, these are issues that are important enough that if you're only basing it on your own views and perspectives, we should want to know, because of the role you play and the influence you exert on the organization, we should want to know with more credible data beyond your opinion. And, and, and as you're going through that process, what are ways that an organization could, could kind of measure improvement to say, okay, things are, are changing to, because a lot of these things, I mean, they take time and yeah. it takes time to build that health. It takes time. And, and over time, it's easy to think, oh, this is costing us time, resources. How do you justify that investment? And, and what are yeah. things that you can measure to help you yeah, validate that? So it's a great, fabulous question, Tobias. I would say there's two things. One, um, th these shouldn't be, th these, the health monitoring shouldn't be a bolt-on, right? It should become a way of life. Uh, Two, the one that one of the most encouraging parts of our statistical models in our research was that it didn't have, wasn't all or nothing. It, it wasn't you were either honest or dishonest. So we found that, for example, even if you improve strategic clarity by twenty five percent, you know, you, in other words, there was twenty five percent more alignment between who you say you are and what you do. You got a ten percent improvement in truth telling and justice. So, so even moving people closer to um, more just account justice and accountability or or alignment in your who you are and what you do or transparency and governance or unity across your borders e even incremental improvements resulted in better behavior and better performance so the good news is you, you don't have to get it all perfectly um, you can work toward it and over time try and be have it become a way of life try and have it become a way that we're always asking the questions. We're always asking ourselves, um, is this fair? Is this just? Who's feeling marginalized? Who's feeling, whose voice doesn't feel heard? Who's frustrated over a gap between our actions and our intentions? Um, because those voices, you know, the, the people who feel marginalized are giving voice on behalf of the silence of everybody else. And those voices become very important to hear. Awesome. If, if, if you would want to like speak and speaking to senior leaders, just thinking one question that you would like to, 
to leave them with, and, and I haven't prepared you for this, but, but just something that you think this is something where they could start to think about, because what we're really talking about, we're talking a lot about integrity. We're talking mm -hmm. a lot about being the same in your marketing collateral as you are actually on the inside and as the conversations that are going on in the boardroom or at the coffee break or, or wherever. Yep. Uh, so is there like one thing, either a question or, or just a, a thought that you want to leave leaders with? I would make it personal for them. And I would say this, uh, how many people in the last week have come into your office and said something to you that was uncomfortable to hear? about your leadership, about your behavior, about your department and team. Because here's what's factual. If on a regular basis, there are not people coming into your office, telling you things that are difficult for you to hear, you can be very confident that your leadership sucks. Because the absence of that data is loud data. If you're assuming that everybody's happy because no one's coming into your office, then you're foolish. Thank you so much, Ron. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. And, and I, I would encourage everyone to check out Ron's books uh, on Amazon. And, and I also know that you have, you're working on a new book. Is that right? Uh, from your lips to God's ears, Tobias. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on a new book on, on the research on um, the connections of justice, purpose, and honesty. Mm -hmm. uh, and trying to invite organizations to want to be greater places of wholeness. Awesome. So make sure to check that out and, and, and follow Ron on, on LinkedIn. Are, are there other places that are, are good to, to connect yeah, with you? Yeah, so um, if you come to our website, you know, navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com, um, we have lots of great videos and white papers and blogs. We also have a free ebook on leading, it's called Leading Transformation in Organizations. And you can have that for free if you come to navalent.com slash transformation, you can download that free ebook and get our playbook on how we construct transformational journeys. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Ron Carucci as well. So I'd love to keep chatting with all your listeners. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, and it just been a pleasure to talk to somebody who is super passionate about seeing that healthy, what, what we say, a world in which organizations with a healthy heart become the norm and not the exception. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Ron. Tobias, thanks so much for your good work on the world. Keep it up. We need it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ron Carucci. If you found this podcast helpful, it would mean a lot to me if you would subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. It just helps a lot of other people find it as well. The coming weeks, we'll be talking about how to strengthen your culture through a crisis. You don't want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.